Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers in writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual summer writers conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, Eric Fritzhughes. Thank you, Gertrude and Ola listeners. Welcome to Episode 43 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fritzhughes. Anyone who's been a member of West Virginia Writers for the past few years is likely going to recognize the name of our guest today and possibly even recognize his face from the summer conference. Richard A. Lewis has been with West Virginia Writers for possibly even longer than I have. He served on the board as parliamentarian, first vice president, and treasurer. When not working as co-vice president of the Lewisburg Master Gardeners these days, Richard buys and sells antiques, particularly antique books. And while he spent many years as a writer of financial reports for various corporations, he spent much of the past decade writing fiction. He recently published his first collection of short fiction called Naked Man's Rock. We spoke with Richard live in his historic home in Lewisburg. I think you and I first met at one of Belinda Anderson's writing workshops around 2002, if memory serves. I think that's correct. Right. And that was the first uh, creative thing, really, I had done in West Virginia. I moved here in 2001. It was it was a neat atmosphere to, to be able to come in, and a lot of the people that were in there had been there for a long time. I know uh, Dr. John Mugas, who had been first vice president of West Virginia Writers mm-hmm. uh, several years back, was had been in her workshops for a while. And uh, he's actually responsible for me joining West Virginia Writers in the first place, oh, wow. both he and Belinda. Uh-huh. How did you come to join West Virginia Writers? I think Belinda Anderson proposed my name for an office, and so if I wanted the office, I had to join. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how I was. I, I was, uh, I think, made the regional representative. Right. And uh, Dr. Mugas was like, so, so you'll be the regional rep? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Guess I better join. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but you hadn't written a lot of fiction prior to then? Never. When I first started working for corporations, it was after I got out of college, and I graduated later, about 10 years later than most people, and um, I was in um, financial planning, budgets, things like that, and problems would, would arise in the production methods and so I'd go and investigate it, and then I would write up reports. And uh, I found out that, uh, the, that it was something that was not commonly done. So when we say financial reports, we're not talking necessarily pages of numbers so much as prose, detailing. Prose, explaining things. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. And it had to be the thing that you had to worry about is that you wrote to every level. Mm-hmm. So it couldn't be too technical and it couldn't be too, you know, the other way. It just had to be something that most people could understand mm-hmm. when it was explained. And convey the information. Right, right. One of the things when I went back to visit my old flank that I worked at last, I told them that I got my fiction writing experience writing up financial reports. <laughs> <laughs> you and your wife relocated to West Virginia after your after your retirement. So where were you just prior to that? At a little town um, called Richwood, Ohio. 
mm-hmm. Mount Richwood, West Virginia. <laughs> and uh, what happened, an early retirement offer came along, and I accepted it. And then uh, shortly after that, moved to West Virginia. So what brought you to Lewisburg uh, itself, other than the, the catchy similarity in the name? That's right. We were looking for historic homes to renovate or restore, and that's something that we've got uh, sort of a hobby when I was working. I didn't have much time for it, but Judy had a lot of time. But um, we found this old stone manse out near the Greenbrier River, and uh, built in 1796, and it's never been updated. So we worked on that about a year and three months, got it um, ready uh, to open up as a B&B, and then we uh, run the B&B for seven years, and then a couple, about two and a half years ago, I sold it, and we moved into Lewisburg, where we're at now. And I always used to think um, that running a bed and breakfast would be a great way to have stories kind of cycle through because mm-hmm. as the innkeeper, you're supposed to be personable and really right. sit down and chat with the folks if they're up for that and just hearing their stories. I, uh, I think that's right. And, uh, and I did find out many things and met many people that uh, I used in my later writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, one of the... One of the funniest stories, a woman stayed at our bed and breakfast, and she got talking about her dad. She told her dad, she said, "Um, I've got such a thing for the Greenbrier River Trail. You know, I feel really connected to it. And he said, you should. You were conceived there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is indeed one of your stories in your book today. (laughs) It should be. Uh, your collection that we mentioned is called Naked Man's Rock. Uh, now, many story collections get their title from one of the stories within, but I, I like the route you went. You named yours after a geographical feature mm-hmm. from the Greenbrier River Trail, essentially right. there, or the Greenbrier River beside it. Right. And um, it's it's from the opening story, Rebecca's Revenge. Uh, how about tell us what Naked Man's Rock is and how it features in that story? Well, Naked Man's Rock is... Uh, as you can see on the cover mm-hmm. of the book, it's really a couple of big rocks in the river, but I was thinking in terms of the major one. And um, it's in the middle of the river, and I use it in my story. I I know that I've referred to it as sort of a meeting place for people mm-hmm. uh, at night, swimming and so forth. But... Uh, I decided to have um, Rebecca, the ghost, appear there, okay? And then a lot of the story took place there. A lot of the conversation mm-hmm. in the book took, took place there. Okay. And now that I think about it, maybe you did include that story from the, uh, the lady who had stayed at the bed and breakfast. Naked <laughs> Man's Rock may very well have been her, her entry point into the world. <laughs> Uh, what inspired uh, to use this as the title of the collection? I don't know that I have a good reason, except that I thought of many titles and kept discarding them. Mm-hmm. And then I I had this photograph that my daughter had taken when we were on a hike along the river. And um, I, I, I checked around and I found out that the name is local, and most people call it Naked Man's Rock. It's, uh, there's two stories. One is that it resembles 
very roughly, a mm -hmm. naked man. The other is that some of the girls down at the Allegheny camp said they used to see a naked man <laughs> on the rock. <laughs> so anyway, take your choice. Well, I think it, it kind of works as a good title for the collection because your stories tend toward the dark, tend toward harder kind of characters, mm -hmm. um, some of whom have some moral ambiguity in their character. The title itself kind of suggests mm -hmm. a, uh, a darkness or a, a uh, I don't want to say a hardness, but a... <laughs> 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 It, it, it kind of suggests that there's there's a, a darker aspect to this. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. From the description of Rebecca's Revenge, it's and you're, you've mentioned that it's a ghost story, mm -hmm. um, we, can, we can tell this is not going to be a typical collection of happy-go-lucky stories. Uh, your characters, as we mentioned, are often people uh, with some pretty serious character flaws. Um, and, and sometimes they're trying to do better in the world, but just as often they're kind of coasting on by... And we come to realize that these people exist as our friends and neighbors. They're out there in the world. They, they were flawed people in life mm -hmm. who, in some instances in your stories, ended up leaving those lives to walk the world as ghosts. Mm -hmm. uh, quite a number of ghost stories in here. And often if there's not a ghost at the start of the story, somebody's going to get made a ghost by the end of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you, you deal particularly in human relationships mm -hmm. and the, the darkness that is often found there. Some of it more common, some of it more, I mean, more extreme, but what draws you to this? I think that part of it stems from um, growing up in southern Ohio, really in the hills, if you will. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of the things that are in the book uh, have some parallels to actual people and their relationships in the area. Although I, none of those are exactly the same. And I'm not using things that happened in real life, but I sometimes draw on that as an idea mm -hmm. and, and you know change it around a good yeah. bit. Yeah, uh, I did find that um, even though a lot of these stories, I think all but two or three, are set in West Virginia, mm -hmm. but never do I detect any kind of stereotypical. I mean, your characters are just as likely to be former mafia enforcers as they are moonshiners. Right. <laughs> There's not a lot of what we would would typically expect from West Virginia stories set in mm. small towns. No. A lot of the activities are ones we might expect from New York City, even. Uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. You had mentioned that you used, uh, used to own the Old Stone Mance near Lewisburg, and it pops up a time or two in this collection. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's named as such, um, or otherwise, and this may be me reading into things since I knew you while these stories mm -hmm. were being written and I knew where you lived. Uh, it, basically, it gave me pause for concern when I was originally reading some of these in their earliest forms, uh -huh. because often you would have stories set in an old historic house made of stone, mm -hmm. and then you would have an innkeeper who was kind of morally compromised, given to pretty nasty behavior, often <laughs> involving his wife. And uh, some of your classmates in there and I used to wonder about your state of mind and whether we should be alerting your actual wife, Judy, that someone bearing definite similarities to her had just been off in one of your stories. Uh, yeah. But then, of course, we you never seemed that way in class, and we got to know Judy from, from seeing her at Christmas parties, and right. she would just smile and nod <laughs> when we tried to warn her. <laughs> yeah, I, I've... Um I think Ed Martin, uh, someone that we both know, 
is real funny. He says, I'm getting worried about Judy. He says, Dick's killed off his wife in his last three stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you've published it in a book, so you have right. no alibi. Um, I, I figure she must not have minded too much because she is the illustrator of, of mm-hmm. this book. And right. Almost every one of the stories here have a, a plate in front of them with an illustration, pen and ink, from from the contents of the story. Very beautifully rendered. Yeah, I, I really appreciated her doing that. Uh, I asked her to do it, and she did it, actually, in black ink uh, pen. Mm-hmm. And uh, done a good job, I think. I wanted to talk about two of the ghost stories um, that are set in the Old Stone Mance. There are two of them in here. One is called Ghost in the Manse, and the other one's called The Mysterious Footprint in the Old Stone Manse. Okay. And uh, they're both ghost stories, but they're uh, very different kind of tales. Mm-hmm. To me, Ghost in the Manse is, is one of the darker stories in the book. It is. Mm-hmm. Involving a, a ghost bent on revenge and the living man she enlists to help her achieve that. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has kind of a twist on the traditional ghost story in that it involves modern technology mm-hmm. to a, a pretty big factor there. How about tell us a little bit about that story and how it came about? It probably had its beginnings, and I was reading a good bit about history in Virginia. I'd done some research about the family that lived in the Old Stone Manse, and I know that the first minister there was a young man from Virginia, and generally speaking, at that time in Virginia in the 1700s, later 1700s, if you had, the family had three sons, one would inherit the land, another one would probably become a military officer, and the other one would become a, a minister. This person who owned the land the first time was a minister, and he's only, I think, about 21 years old. Well, I heard that he had three slaves. Okay, and that kind of got me started thinking mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe not very good but <laughs> that's how I came up with the story of the slave who mm-hmm. you know was treated badly and uh, ended up uh, dying becoming a ghost and then as I thought more and more about it I thought well I don't like the traditional way ghosts are contacted you know through mediums and spirits and crystal balls and so forth so so I thought, well, a computer would be a good way for a ghost to contact. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I brought that in. And I have to admit, I don't usually outline my stories. I start in with an idea, and I kind of let the characters run. And the story more or less develops on its own. Although, it's, you know, I'm sure something is in the back of my mind that's mm-hmm. making it run that way on that one. And then on the other, you talked about the other ghost story. The yeah, first. the uh, mysterious footprint in the Old Stone Manse. Uh, it's pr- actually, for my money, it's probably the brightest story mm-hmm. in the book. And, it is. I mean, hardly anyone gets killed in it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. And, and that, as you know uh, and have seen, you probably saw the footprint. Yeah, tell us about where the inspiration for this came from, because I've, I've seen it. Right. I yeah I really don't remember how I got I think it was one of the first stories that I wrote and um, when we were running the bed and breakfast I had a family just a man and his wife come over they went to see a play at the theater they went to dinner and went to the play at the theater then came back and well, we had some time and I was sitting in the room talking to them and I showed them the mysterious footprint. Mm-hmm. 
went through it. Now, for our, our listeners who haven't, uh, this footprint is basically, an in, it looks, it's exactly a footprint, mm-hmm. but it's almost indented in the floor. Right. As though, uh, I mean, there have been a number of theories. Nobody knows for sure how this happened, but one of the theories was a little girl stepped into mm-hmm. uh, varnish on a floor. Right. and left a footprint, and then subsequent years have mm-hmm. kept it there. But mm-hmm. it really, yeah, that's true, but it really didn't make much sense because, yeah. like you say, in the book, the story, we stripped all the varnish off. And um, and it's basically in the wood at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, anyway, this guy came back a year later, and he says, uh, when he before he left, I said, can you think of any reason why that footprint would be there? Well, this guy came back a year later, and he wrote a book about it. I forgot about that. Yeah, right. And he lives at Lexington. I've got the book in there. I don't know his name offhand. But it was set in during the Civil War era. But he, uh, in, in that book, he gave a much violent reason for the footprint uh, being there. I've seen the footprint. It's, it's pretty neat. To, mm-hmm. you, when, I remember you read that story to us in the workshop, or we read it in the workshop, and you were like, well, that, that actually does exist. <laughs> you, know, you said, I don't know about the ghost part, but because there's not actually a ghost in the story, per se, although there's one hinted at. It's, hint, it's hinted at. Yeah. yeah right. So that's the fictional part, but one of the stories I hadn't read before, um, before this, because a lot of these I've read in workshops, but there's several that I haven't read before. I'm particularly taken with this story. Um, it's a historical piece called A Doorway to Hell which uh, if you hear the title and you know that there are supernatural elements in your collection, people assume mm-hmm. it's going to be a literal translation, but it's it's not. It's, I mean, even with all the supernatural stuff in your stories, this is probably the one most solid, solidly set in reality as mm-hmm. we know it and is probably a far more disturbing story for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did the gem of this come from? It came from a period when I was very young, uh, about six years old, and um, it was during um, World War II. My father had passed away, my two brothers were in the military, and um, so it was just me and uh, my three sisters there at the house. Well, there had been reports of break-ins and drown. If this is out in the country, there's no mm-hmm. electric, it's before electric ever hit the... In Ohio. In Ohio, right. And... Um, Someone tried to break in our house one night, and they did pry off the boards around, and my sister was the one who threatened to shoot them if they didn't leave, and so they left. But I took that incident and then built it into that story. Uh, the uh, thing about, there was two, two people, who, two men, who were breaking into houses, and they did kill some people uh, that lived alone. And uh, so anyway, I took that story. I got chills reading that because it (laughs) seemed very, very genuine. And I kind of wondered, I I never really thought for sure that it was real, that it happened to you. I thought maybe you had heard the story or heard something similar and twisted it to that. But it it comes off very, very genuine. Thank you. uh, it is mostly fiction, but based on a couple of yeah. uh, true facts. And 
you know, luckily my sister never shot through the door. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike in the story where there's lots of blood. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but that's how that story came. Yeah, I enjoyed that an awful lot. I read that. Um, I had I was familiarizing myself with the book, going through and revisiting these stories that I had read before and seeing how they had had changed mm. and become right the stories they are now. And, but was looking forward to the ones I hadn't gotten to, and mm-hmm. that was I really enjoyed that one. Right. Naked Men's Rock is published through Author House, which mm-hmm. is an online publishing service um, that we West Virginia Writers has dealt with before for right. our Mountain Voices anthology. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, the book is gorgeous, from mm-hmm. the paper quality to the cover stock. The mm-hmm. printing is really nice. Thank you. Uh, I thought so, and uh, I worked with them. You know, I'd worked with uh, Author House a little bit uh, when we were uh, doing the Mountain, what was it, Virginia? Oh, yeah, Mountain Voices. Yeah. And so I I got to know a couple of the people there uh, at that time, and um, then I told them that I was thinking about doing a book of short stories, but I was at least a year away because I hadn't really been working on it. And they kept calling and making me offers, and finally they called one time and was running the spatial sales. So I decided I'd better jump on it now. The price is not going to get any lower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I took them up on it. And basically, you can recover your cost pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, don't you don't need to sell that many books to recover your cost through your investment. And after that, then you're making money. Yeah. <laughs> well, if folks would like to see it, it's available on Amazon in both print and Kindle forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, where else is it available for sale? It's uh, it's also available now at, um, at Tamarack. Uh, Richard Lewis, thank you for being a guest on the podcast today, and thanks for having me in your home on this blustery uh, Thursday afternoon. I appreciate you being here and for the opportunity to be on the podcast. I, I uh, have to admit it's uh, a little different than what I expected. (laughs) Positive, though. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Richard Lewis's book, Naked Man's Rock, can be found in print and Kindle forms at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and other online retail outlets. You can also find links to it at our website, podcast.wvwriters.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the links we've included to the entry forms for West Virginia Writers' annual writing contest for 2011. They made their debut last weekend at the West Virginia Book Festival in Charleston. Both the adult contest and the New Mountain Voices student contest forms are available, showing you the all-new categories included this year as well as the standard ones. We'll be talking here about the contest in the coming weeks. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, whose albums can be found at cdbaby.com. This podcast is a production of Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was assembled atop a hill in Mercer County. <laughs>